Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always is my co-host and fellow Disney freak, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. How are you doing? You know, I'm swell. We have a we have a guest star. Yes, our guest star is Lauren Milberger. Lauren Milberger is a writer and actor. She writes and acts in theater, TV, and film. She has a master's from the Actor Studio Drama School, and she is a graduate of the Second City Conservatory program. Uh, Lauren also podcasts. She's the co-host of FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Uh, in addition to that, in July, she will debut a highlight podcast version of her Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Conference semifinalist play, The Tours: a story of George Burns and Gracie Allen. Uh, they'll be doing that in a radio play format, and Lauren will be playing the role of Gracie Allen. Uh, Lauren is a pop culture essayist on various feminist icons, uh, which include Carrie Fisher and Nora Ephron. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Lauren. So great to be here. Hi. Hi. I'm so excited to have you here today. Yeah, so- for sure. We're going to get into uh, ni- the 1976 film Freaky Friday. Yes. I'm very and Lauren, excited to talk about this. No, I, and I know you are. And Lauren, uh, because you chose Freaky Friday, we always like to ask our guests, why is it that you wanted to talk about Freaky Friday? And just and just to reiterate to our, our folks at home, this is the original version from 1976. Right. Well, that's There's- one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it. One, because I think that many people aren't familiar with it even though it has an Oscar nominee and an Oscar winner in it, as we'll go into. Um, But to me, this is the first time I ever saw Barbara Harris. And I realized that from then on, I sort of became really fascinated with this interesting character actress, even though I didn't know much about her, because then, of course, she played the mother in Peggy Sue Got Married, which I watched when I was a kid. Um, And this is the first time I've watched it since I was a kid, which is very interesting. And I just remember having really warm feelings for it. Um, I think particularly because of Barbara Harris. And this is one of those rare Disney movies. This might be the first time this has ever happened that neither Andy nor I had ever seen. uh, Usually one of us has, uh, but this is the first time neither of us had seen it before. It's a little obscure. You know, I think it, I don't even think I saw it a lot on cable. Like, I think that maybe it was on like local television reruns. Uh, In fact, the second half of the movie, I didn't even remember. So who knows if I saw the whole thing. Uh, but I just had warm childhood feelings for it. Ah, good. Well, some yeah. key and facts I, about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Um, oh, and I, I love body switching movies. I'm. It's it's sort of my thing. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about body. We're going to talk about body switching movies here in just a minute. Um, so a few key facts from this movie. The movie was remade uh, uh, in 2003. So a lot of times when we say Freaky Friday, people think of the Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan movie. And it was also uh, made as a 1995 made-for-TV movie with Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman, which I did not know until I did some of the research for the movie. But I did uh, see that one. I think that was on The Wonderful World of Disney. Yes. Uh, I, that one I've seen. See, it's funny because I haven't seen that one. And I found out about it, too, doing a little more research on the film since I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And that surprised me, too, because I watched Wonderful World of Disney. I must have missed it that week. Right. We'll do that one at some point, I think. (laughs) We should. We should track that down. So, but yeah, this is the original movie. It's written by Mary Rogers. It's an adaptation of her 1972 novel, Freaky Friday. Movie grosses $36 million on a $5 million budget. 
So a lot of people go to see this movie. It's very much an iconic kind of film for the 1970s. Uh, And there's three Golden Globe nominations for Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical for both Jodie Foster and Barbara Harris and for Best Original Song, I'd Like to Be You for a Day. So, neat. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about body swapping movies, though, because I know, Lauren, you have some thoughts about this, and I'm really anxious to hear what you have to say. Well, I think it's really interesting because I didn't know until recently that uh, sort of the concept of body swapping goes back to this old novel called Vice Versa from like 1882, which is what the the 80s movie uh, Vice Versa is actually based on. With, if anyone is familiar with Fred Savage and Judge right, Reinhold, right. which really surprised me. Um, but what I think is fascinating about this movie and sort of the history of body switching movies is this is sort of what kicked off kind of the movie genre. Um, you see a lot of stuff in like the late 80s kind of, you know, coming out with vice versa with uh, like Father Like Son with Kirk Cameron and Dougley Moore. And then, of course, you have 18 again with George Burns, right. which probably started in pre-production in the late 70s after this was a big hit. Sure. And now it's something that you just take for granted. Like, oh, of course, there are body switching movies. But to realize that it's n- rather new for movie form, even though in the concept and literature it's not, I think is really interesting. Um, and I also count things like Big and yes. 13, you know, going, 13 going on 30. I think those count as body swatching movies, sure. body swapping movies. And personally, I love the genre because it, it's kind of like with time travel, which I also love. Who hasn't thought that? Like, what would it be like to be my dad or be somebody else? Um, and then, of course, you know, promotes empathy, which is right. what this movie does. She ends up having, you know, really getting her mother. In a Even way movies like All of Me or Face Off. Yeah, I, mean, I count those too. I'm thinking a lot of different. Yeah, I, I do would, too. I would include the TV series Orphan Black as maybe the ultimate oh, expression. Sure. Where she's yeah. she's playing all these different clone versions of herself, but then sometimes she's one clone impersonating another clone. So you have one character playing the role of another character. And I love that. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but personally, it it they're not literally living the life. They're pretending. Like when right. when Josh Baskin gets big, he's not pretending to be big, like he is big and he has to live like an adult. People see him as an adult. So I I see where you're coming from, but personally, I wouldn't count that as part of the genre. But then there are people that don't count 13 going on 30 and big and things like that. So, you know, it's it's a personal preference. Right. (laughs) They're they're related, even if they're not in the exact same family. How's that? Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, Orphan Black always reminded me of uh, My Name is Anna. That TV movie uh, from, God, I don't know if it's from the 70s or the early early 80s, I think. It's based on a novel that freaked me out as a kid. And it's about uh, a girl who gets cloned from another girl who died in the Holocaust. Oh, boy. Oh. Yeah. It was a little creepy as a kid. And then she finds out there are all these different versions of her that are, like, all variously different based on the families they grew up in. I think Orphan Black was inspired by that a little bit. I think they've talked about it, but it's a very creepy novel. Well, all of that, all of that is not this, today's movie. No, today's not movie today's is movie. <laughs> um, and so let's talk about uh, this movie. Let's start, as we always do, with the Manish Tana. 
Uh, the Manish Tanah from the Jewish holiday of Passover begins the four questions where we ask, why is this night different from all other nights? And when we apply this to the, to a movie, what we're asking really here is really about point of attack. Why does the movie choose to open the way that the movie opens? Um, and sometimes this is directly related to the inciting incident, and sometimes it's not. Uh, but in this particular case, we open on a song, um, and then and then we open on a perspective. Why do we start? Why do we start where we start? So we're we're looking at the a day in the life of this family, right? The Andrews family, and you know, here's Annabelle, and she's waking up, and um, I, I have. I will tell you that I, I had not seen this movie before. And the minute I was like, oh, of course she's going to wake up. And of course there's going to be the alarms going to go off because, and, and it's funny because when I'm coaching new screenwriters, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's try something different. <laughs> like, unless there's a real reason for that alarm to go off in that moment. But I think here it sort of works because this family is full of lots of apparent inequality and we see it at the breakfast table and there's no way to really see it unless we really see it. Um, Annabelle and Mrs. Andrews are living completely different lives. And again, there is this inequality between what boys get to do, what women get to do, what girls get to do, and uh, what wives get to do. And, you know, the Equal Rights Amendment's getting a lot of attraction in the 1970s with, with its being placed before state legislatures. Uh, and Disney isn't immune to this discussion. So I think this is sort of a, there's a lot of references in this movie to male chauvinist pigs and whatever. So we sort of have to see chauvinism we sh and, and inequality. And this is, you know, why not start it at the breakfast table and how people get ready for the morning? Yeah, I yeah. agree. You know, you see, you see Annabelle's room, you see, you know, what, who she is as a person and how, you know, opposite it is from her mother and how they don't see each other as well. Like they're all going through their tasks and what they have to do and they don't really see each other as human beings. You know, she idolizes her father, uh, which is, I love how they deconstruct her seeing who he really is and that her mother is the hero and not necessarily her dad. And I think that's set up really well in the opening. Yeah, agreed. I also think part of the reason that we start even before we see Annabelle with this song though, is they're queuing us up because there's going to be a big buy later on, which is that the mother and daughter are going to uh, swap, swap bodies, and we're never really going to get an explanation for exactly why this is occurring. Yeah. Um, and they're queuing us up that this is going to happen. We're not pretending like this is some other movie and it's not a body swap movie. We want you to buy into this premise before we even demonstrate it, because it's not about how it happens. It's just, you just need to come in and accept it's going to happen. Here's a song. We're letting you know, like, like you, you can't like yell at the movie, but why? Right. Uh, early on the radio says it's Friday the 13th. That's as much of an explanation as we're going to get. Right. 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 Yeah. I, th I think that that's something, if you look back at the more popular one, which is obviously the Jamie Lee Curtis version that more people will know, um, and some aspects of it, I think, is a better movie. The explanation really is not aged very well. And um, it just shows that in this movie, you, you don't need it. Like, the audience gets, like, this is the premise of the movie. 
You don't have to go into something that, you know, maybe either be offensive or just doesn't work. Yeah, you're not allowed to leave Freaky Friday and say, you know what I don't like? I don't like that they swapped bodies. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I love the movie. Yeah. I can't believe he was big. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. I'm so disappointed. One star. <laughs> All right. So let's, well, let's, 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 yeah, let's dive into plot elements. So let's, sure. uh, let's talk about exposition. We kind of talked about it for just a second. I'm really curious as to what you guys think um, the exposition does in this movie, because I think it's really, it is really sort of important to the premise so, and, and why it works the way it works. So the big parts of exposition, we see Annabelle's room, we see that it's messy, uh, we see that she's a little concerned that she's in that in-between state, her body hasn't fully become a woman's body yet. Uh, as she's dressing, you, you know, you can see there's that moment where she's like, I'm, I'm not there yet, I still have a girl's body, but man, I can't wait to be a woman. Uh, she She comes downstairs, and then the person who is the woman in her life, she is disdainful of. And immediately, mm. and immediately fights against the model that her mother gives her. And it, I think it becomes clear, has been fighting with her mother for a long time about this. Yeah. Right. And I think there's is, a line that's like, lately, mom and I haven't been hitting it off too well. It's not that I don't love her or anything. Um, and anybody who's, I've got two teenage girls right now. And, and I, I, I can bet you that if we looked at their phones right now and looked at the, their texts, um, we might see a text like that <laughs> from yeah. between them and one of their friends, right? It, it's a cl- it's a classic scenario, you know, like the the sort of tr- the tradition, and, and obviously not all relationships are like this, but where you know the mother the daughter gives the mother hell, and then you know you'll understand when you're older, and then they right. grow up, and then you know their teenage daughter does the same thing, and and that's of course what the movie's about, right? It's about the two of them understanding that they're in this together. They're not, you know sort of should be butting heads with each other. You know, her mother loves and they her were, and she's doing the best. They really are butting heads with each other in this uh, in this moment. And it's funny because the song, I didn't expect that because the song at the beginning is sort of this dreamy exposition. Like, you know, I'd like to be you for a day and I want to touch you and reach you in every way. And I'm like, oh, they're going to really, you know, really want to connect here. But these two people are really disconnected. And, you know, on the surface, they don't want to be connected. I mean, but they, I think they do want to be together and close. They just really don't understand, um, you know, the realities of the world, the other person. And what you brought up about the women's movement. I mean, you know, you have to remember the the generation gap between the two of them. Uh, You know, her mother would have been, uh, I'm guessing based on the age, you know, brought up during the depression in a time when, you know, women didn't do anything but be in the home. You know, this is sort of a first generation that really felt, you know, I could do something different. And it sort of feels like this is sort of the perfect time for this kind of movie, you know, and I I didn't read the novel, so I don't know if this is something that isn't, you know, uh, the same conflict. But Mm -hmm. uh, I like this movie looking back on it, something I didn't think of at the time, is I think that it is a bit of a slice of that particular time. You know, that's not the Partridge family. I know it's later in the 70s, but, you know, I really felt like I sort of understood what it might be like to be a teenager during that time because my mother is not the same age as uh, the the mom in this, but she's definitely older. She grew up in the 60s more. So this is a perspective that I think is not told as much. And to see something that Mm -hmm. was contemporary of the time, particularly when she's, you know, sort of hanging out with her friends, um, it really made me see the women's movement in uh, an interesting way. And I liked that. Well, the mom has this really telling statement where she says childhood's the best time in a person's life. 
And what does that say about her life right now? I mean, it's, t- yeah, yeah, because, well, yeah. And then as far as exposition about the relationship between Ellen and then her husband, Bill, it's sort of summed up in Bill's statement. You know, you just show up looking beautiful as usual. I'll do the rest. Right. So he sees yeah. Ellen as sort of this trophy wife who just makes everything nice for everybody. Uh, although, although, <laughs> I mean, who really does all the work in their relationship? It is not Bill. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Ellen does Ellen does it all. I mean, she she does. She's the one who makes everything nice for everyone. And, you know, from the curtains to the, you know, cleanliness of the house to the I'm gonna show up with, you know, whatever as we go on. But yeah, it's like he's almost just really dismissive of her. Like, this is what you do and this is what I do. And yeah. He's, yeah. I mean, he's benefiting from this deal for sure. Yeah, but that's all he knows, right? I mean, yeah. that's the whole generation yeah. thing. That's what he was taught. I'm not I'm not trying to condone him. I just think that it's an example of what was going on at that time, that he's a right. man that that's, that's what his, his mother did and her mother before him, and he doesn't see anything different, which is interesting considering he's putting so much stock in his amazing daughter doing this thing for his clients. And, right, you know, right. And, but, but once she's of age, he'll forget all that and be like, well, now it's time for you to get married, honey. Right, yeah. exactly. He's set up to be not the, well, we can talk about this more when we get to talking about Bill. Uh, but in terms of exposition, we do get um, one other aspect of the family life, which is that there's this relationship between Annab- Annabelle and her brother, Ben, where he really wants to spend time with her and she constantly dismisses him as ape face. Um, So it's not, there are a number of relationships, not just Annabelle and her mother, which are fraught. It's just Annabelle and her mother's is the one that is the most fraught or the most, or the most on the table. It's the, it's the fight that everybody can, it's the conflict that everybody can see. It's the most visible. The, yeah. the interesting thing about all of this exposition to me as a screenwriter is that we know all of this in 10 minutes. Yes. Everything we've been talking yeah. about for the past, oh, almost 10 minutes, we know in 10 minutes in this movie. And so the brevity and the, 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 I think the actors and the way they're pulling off these lines and really selling them, I think speaks to their talent and, and, and that, but this is, you know, it's brevity and it's quick and it's done pretty well. Yeah, because it's a kid's movie, right? Like, yeah. It's obviously for the whole family, but it's meant to be a kid's movie and you want to get to everything and then get to sort of the the funny parts. Right, right, right. I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that <laughs> I almost don't want to talk about the inciting incident of this movie. Sometimes when we look at movies, there's like a whole bunch of things that it could be. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Um, and I'm only bringing it up in case either of you want to disagree with me here, but I think the inciting incident of this movie is the moment where mom and daughter switch bodies. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Oh, well, I was going to, I was going to say it's when, it's when, uh, Annabelle throws the ice cream on the wall, but I mean, you know, six of one, half dozen of the other. Well, Andy, I, I think they are both two equally great answers. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so. Let's move on to rising action and climax. Sure. Uh, much as I want to live in that ice cream moment. So the rising action is everything that happens in the movie after the inciting incident up until we get to the climax. And what we've sometimes found, and I think may be true in this particular uh, movie especially, is if we can identify the climax, 
we're, we're more easily able to identify the rising action. Some things are clearly rising action. Uh, Annabelle's, most of Annabelle's day at home, uh, her time, her misadventure trying to use the laundry, the shopping she does, the time she spends with her brother, the time she spends with Boris, her crush from across the street. All of that is rising action. Most of Annabelle's day at, not Annabelle, but mom in the in the body of Annabelle, most of her day at school uh, is the rising action. Even right. even the the game she plays at the end of the day is part of the rising action. What would you guys point to as the climax of the movie? And for those of you at home, the climax is the moment where we feel the most tension. Uh, in some movies, not this one, this is the moment where the forces of good combat the forces of evil. Uh, I, we're, we're not on that. We're not on that dualistic spectrum here. Uh, but it is the moment where things feel the most fraught, where things could go very, very wrong, um, and we are concerned that maybe this movie, which is a comedy, might not have a happy ending, even though it will. Uh, so where where would you guys point to the climax of this movie? Where are things that they're most tense, they're most fraught? Oh, when they're driving to save her mother from uh, try, uh, having to uh, be in the skiing uh, spectacular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because, you know, it's also life or death. Like, her mother is most, can't ski, is probably going to die. So it's it's pretty high stakes. Yeah. Not not to mention they're getting stopped and they're not able to get there. So there's tension of the, you know them being delayed. Uh, it's uh, it, it all fits together, I think, pretty well. Yes. No, I, I would agree with you um, that that it's the big action sequence uh, as a client. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the police are chasing her. So we've got two action sequences that are going back to back. Uh, Mom in Annabelle's body is is doing the water skiing and is not capable of doing it. And Annabelle in Mom's body is driving the car in a high speed chase where the police are uh, are are following her, and she almost commits vehicular manslaughter on a couple of different occasions. <laughs> um, like those are those are two action sequences, but it's one climax. They are they are uh, in danger. At that particular right. moment. Right. Um, I want to point out something that's interesting about the climax of this movie. Uh, because I wasn't, I, I was hoping to say that isn't the climax of this movie. But I think it is. I think it is. But I was expecting the climax of this movie to be a moment of reckoning between Annabelle and her mother. Right. We have these two characters that are on these trajectories, and in a normally structured movie, and I'm not saying this is the wrong choice that they made here, but in a normal structured movie, we would have a moment where the two of them have to have this big outburst, this big fight where everything gets out and then come to an understanding. And we never actually get that climax here. Uh, they've worked it out individually on their own by being in each other's bodies. Uh, and by the time they get to each other, they're already ready to reconcile. Yeah. And I think also, you know, she realizes how much she loves her mother and that she doesn't want to lose her mother, which is what could possibly happen if she's forced to, you know, do the action that she can't do, which is water ski. And the tension, I think also the tension of them and also... 
you know, her seeing how talented her daughter is and how hard it is, I think also in that moment as characters, they're also both coming to their realization of how much they need each other and they don't want to lose each other, particularly yeah. Annabelle. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just I, I'm just saying, normally that would be what I anticipated as the climax. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just not here. Yeah, yeah we. I'm with you, Larry. I think I wanted something. I wanted them to see each other, like instead of their bodies just switching and all of a sudden they're in different spaces and it's like, whoa, what happened? Um, I wanted there to be like a confrontation between the two of them, you know, where they see each other for who they really see each other, like they're in the same space. Yeah. Or even and if the, I'm, I'm so sorry, Lauren, after you. No, I was going to say uh, that this scene actually surprised me. And I wonder if it's not that I didn't remember it because I didn't. And I did see it a long time ago. Uh, but I think it may have surprised me just thinking in the moment because it was not what I expected watching it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you all that I had expected there to be more of sort of a intellectual moment between the two of them. But I also feel like there are a lot of Disney movies of the 70s that do that. Yeah. And so it felt like very, I mean, we can talk about other reasons why this feels like a very 70s Disney movie, but um, I was definitely surprised now that you bring it up that, that they didn't go there. Or even if the conflict at the climax was mom sticking up for Annabelle or Annabelle sticking up for mom against a common foe, even if the two of them got to unite against a, someone who was in the antagonist role. Yeah, uh, right. Possibly great bad, if it was, but someone. Well, that would be right. the perfect one. Because as much as it doesn't do that, what I do like is that it sets up, my dad is my idol. He's really keen. He's the best. To see, like, no, he's not. And that actually would have made more Mm -hmm. sense thematically, honestly, if she starts off there. And then even though we know that she sees he's a jerk because she's saying in her head, it really would make more sense at the end of the movie if she stuck up for her mother. Yes. Yeah, Because she's never taken her side. Well, and she doesn't, even in the denouement, right? The family's sitting there at breakfast and they go back to normal as if nothing has happened. I mean, there's no real lasting change. There's no, comp- I mean, there, you know, Annabelle at one point tells her dad, you know, as a dad, you're super, as a, I mean, as a, as a husband, you're more like a traffic cop, right? Because right. she starts to see him for who he is, but there's never a confrontation. He's just right. allowed to sort of be himself. It's it, too it, far it, for the n- needs to go. In a modern it movie, is. we would go that far. In the 70s, we, we would absolutely not. go that far. Yes. Disney wouldn't let Annette Futicello show her belly button. So, you know, they're they're never on the forefront of progression. You know, this is pretty progressive for them. So that part as a Disney movie doesn't surprise me of the time because I think their thought was, we have to show that the family unit is still the same. I mean, it's not like, you know, the mom goes out and gets a job. Right. She doesn't okay. get a job. Nope, she's going to sit and sip coffee at yeah, the breakfast yeah. table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I want to transition us a bit to talking about the characters so we Let's can go do into it. them. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should start, look, there's two protagonists of this movie, and we're going to get tongue-tied a little bit about this because yes. we're going to be talking about Annabelle, we're going to be talking about Ellen, then we're going to be talking about Annabelle as Ellen and Ellen as Annabelle. Right. Uh, and and we're going to get confused and you're just going to have to go with us on this. But let's talk about Annabelle and Annabelle in the body of Ellen as one character here. Yes. What do we th- and of the two protagonists, I feel that she's the primary uh, and that the and 
that Ellen is the secondary protagonist, yes. but but Agreed. only by a like only like a 60-40 split, not a like 70-30 right. split or anything more than that. So let's talk about Annabelle and Annabelle in the body of Ellen. What do we think of her as a character? I feel remiss to not say that what I do love about this character is that this is a persona of young Jodie Foster. You know, I also used to watch her in reruns of the Bad News Bears. Like, this is a persona of sort of a tomboyish girl that you didn't see at the time. And the fact that they sort of allowed her to play this character. Now, of course, they allowed her to play this character because she's heterosexual. Yes, right. We can just put that out there, that. But that's a whole other topic for another time. Uh, I, I think that it's important to see, you know, she's messy and she doesn't necessarily, even though she says she, you know, can't wait to be, you know, a woman, she does, you know, dress in clothes that aren't sexy. They're comfortable. She wears sneakers, which was, you know, and blue jeans, God forbid, you know, big deal in the 70s. Um, she's a real modern girl for that time. And the fact that Disney does let her be that way. I think mm-hmm. is important. Um, she's not the kind of usual Disney lead or even young character I think that we see. She's athletic too. She's got athletic yeah. prowess yeah. and is respected for this. The, the team says the plan is get the ball to Annabelle because Annabelle is a brute on, on the field. Um, uh, she's she's the the star of the the water show. That like like she she's excelling at physical activity, which I think goes right in with Lauren's Lauren's saying. And uh, at the same time, she really feels like she's dumb. You she know, has, she really she, does not feel like her. she, she's not performing well at school. She does. She is insecure about how she feels about herself. And even though she has these moments of security that she doesn't really know what to do with Boris. I mean, she, you know, there's, and in a lot of ways, she's just sort of a kid, you know, and and it, that awkwardness of becoming an adult, um, that transition of, yeah, I still want to eat potato chips on the couch and hang out, but I don't really know how to do laundry or, you know, there are things like that about her too, I think. I also feel like I need to bring this up. Annabelle is yes. mean. Uh, she is particularly oh, yeah. mean to her younger brother. Yes. so clearly adores her, but the name Ape face is so mean, and she 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 is He's so adorable. Dis- as a na- the kid is adorable. Yes, the, the kid. No, no, no. The name is not. I'm just yeah. saying he is adorable and clearly loves her. Um, and and you know, beyond needing to understand her mother better, for me the thing the thing that really needs needed to happen is she needs to, uh, and does happen, is she needs to understand that she has this mean streak that needs to be toned. Look, at 13, 14, I don't know, maybe you guys were different, uh, but but we're all, uh, my dad My dad likes to say we're hormonally challenged, right? Like, there, you know, our, our bodies tell us to be angry and it comes out and it might not even be a mental thing. It's just right. the hormones. And I, I think we can blame some of that on some of Annabelle's meanness on this, but it's Ah. interesting to have a protagonist who we see to be at fault in some of her relation, not all of her relationships, but at some of her relationships, she's definitely, she's definitely, uh, part of the problem. 
So I am not a psychologist at all, but I think about Ellen and Bill and there's tension. I feel like Ellen feels this tension toward Bill that she never really expresses. And I kind of wonder if Annabelle sort of takes that on and then projects all of that onto Ben. Could be. I would say that it's sort of a bit of a stereotypical older sibling, older sister. I mean, there's a significant age difference between them in the sense of where they are, you know, emotionally and hormonally and mentally. He is still a little kid. And no, I was not like this as an older sister personally, but that's my personal experience. And I know that, you know, it is a bit of a, you know, a trope that you see in television and in film, particularly during this time that, but there is a bit of, you know, a reality to it. You know, I have a cousin who's five years older than me and she did not want to hang out with me at all. So I hung out with her, her, you know, younger brother and my younger brother because that five-year difference now is no big deal. But then- Back then, I, I was a little kid. Why does she want to hang out with a little kid? And it, it, I think, provides a bit of a resentment sometimes because it's that thing of I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm grown up. You're just like a little, little kid. And what she learns is that, you know, he's just as important. You know, I bet when they were younger that they got along really well, which is another mm. reason probably why he doesn't really quite understand why she doesn't want to hang out with him because you'd think he would get it right? But he's always just like, I love you. Hang out with me. Let's do stuff. You know, I think you're awesome. Like he looks up to her. So I feel like it's more of about the fact that she now is sort of growing into a teenager Hmm. and feels that he's probably like a little kid. You know, why she's hanging with a little kid. She's moving away from him and he he doesn't understand that. Um, but, But again, part of the way that she's moving away from him isn't just moving away, it's pushing away. Right. Yes. Right. But I think and, it's a little bit typical for an older sibling to act that way. Oh, for sure. No, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. even saying it's untrue. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just think she's mean. She's just mean. Yeah, I'm just she's saying mean. it's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I once had a babysitter tell me she couldn't hang out with me anymore because I wasn't cute anymore. Oh, I know. <laughs> and you don't understand when you, I mean, but and you're a little kid, like it's still mean, right? That was super right. mean to say, but like, as a little kid, you're like, well, yeah, we hang out, you know? But now that I am seven <laughs> instead of five, right. she literally was like, go away, you're not cute anymore. And I was like, oh, oh. oh no. Oh. Well, let's, dig, let's dig into Ellen. Um, <laughs> poor, so, poor Lauren. <laughs> I, 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 yes. So, so the thing about Ellen, I think, that, that's interesting here is, huh. So Ellen... I don't, Ellen, I don't feel ever really understands that her own life prior to the Freaky Friday incident is flawed and needs to be fixed. I think, Mm -hmm. I think she's only focused on her relationship with Annabelle um, and uh, about Annabelle not being grown up yet. But of course, Annabelle's world does not want her to be grown up yet. And trying to be a grown up in a kid's world will make you unpopular. Um, like, like it's, it's not ready for that yet, but in terms of clear character arc, I don't feel like she has one as, as much as Annabelle does. No, it's, 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 you know, it's meant to be the kid movie, right? Like, uh, they want the kids to see it with their parents, obviously, but they want them to look at Annabelle and see themselves, I feel. And, and laugh at the kids' stuff. And obviously, you know, the parents will still enjoy it. But that, I think, is the biggest lacking part of it. And I wonder if... The, I'm really fascinated if the book was similar, because it is a, a young adult novel. Ah. Um, but again, I think it also goes back to 
if she has any sort of realization that's going to go outside of the Disney bubble at the time and is a little too progressive. So uh, my favorite part of this movie, um, honestly, is when Ellen is in Annabelle's body giving a lecture on the Eisenhower administration, which I think is so (laughs) funny. But I also think it's kind of sad because Ellen is clearly somebody who's bright. Um, She's gifted. She's able to lecture. She's smart. She remembers the Eisenhower. I mean, she remembers, you know... 20 years ago, and this was happening, and then this was happening, and then this was happening without a whole lot of prep. Um, And at the same time, she's just sort of underutilized as an intellectual, and she's working for her husband to further his career as opposed to really even caring about hers at all. Yeah, and I I think that... um they don't realize that they're doing that in the movie, I think. I think the joke that they're trying to go for is, she lived through all of it. Of course she remembers it. And I really think that they don't get what they're showing because it doesn't show up later in the film at all, is that she's smart. She watched the news. She paid attention during the war. But I think the joke in the film is saying is, she's old enough to know the history that she's talking about. Right, right, right. But this gets to the heart of the issue for me, and this is how I would fix the Ellen arc here. They are so clearly want to show that Ellen messes up Annabelle's life in every possible way, at every step. Everything she does in Annabelle's body is wrong. That they don't Mm. give her any victories. And I think the thing that should happen in this movie is when she's lecturing these kids, she actually gets through to them. Like, like maybe, maybe we could have it like they, un, like she tutors one of them right before a test. Like she helps them out and the lesson sticks and it triggers something in her, which makes her say, wait a second. I, I thought that I was not good with teenage girls. I'm amazing at teenage girls who are not biologically, uh, uh related to me. Right. I be a teacher or I should be a guidance counselor or I should take on this role um, and then, oh. and then, like at the end of this day, could have taught her that actually she needs to be at this school helping these kids. That would be such a great. Oh, you're paused. That would be such a great uh, arc for her, and you wouldn't have to do much, right? You could just show no. her at the end of the movie, sitting behind a desk, or like being hired, or like grading papers, or something. Um, and not, and then maybe not having time to do something that the husband wants, and she goes, "Bill, do exactly. it yourself." Exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, Disney would never job. do that yeah. at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It would show. It would show that Bill is not. I think they're more than happy to show Bill as a chauvinist, but in the end, the the family dynamic needs to stay the same in ni- 1976. Right. They're, they're just talk, not there yet. Let's talk yeah. about Bill. I think he's in complete Ew. control of this family, right? Uh, I think he's he in as much. I think he's in as much control as he's willing to take. And then there are other parts of the family that he's not interested in, and those he has no control over whatsoever. Um, but like he's he has complete control over what he sees as his family and ignores anything he's not interested in. Right. Right. Oh yeah, because he doesn't have to. She does everything for him. There's this really interesting moment where um, Annabelle, actually it's, well, Ellen and Annabelle's body goes to see John, or John, I was thinking John Aston, sorry, goes to see Bill <clears throat> at the uh, at his office, and she asks him for a letter um, in order to be able to use his credit cards. 
And I thought, I thought about that for a minute. And I were, and my husband and I were watching this together and he was like, oh yeah, that's right. Because in the 1970s, women didn't have access to their own credit. And so if you wanted to use your husband's credit car, card, you had to have an, a notarized letter. And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, <laughs> Jane crazy is- talks about the fact that she was starring on SNL and she couldn't get her own credit card. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even even with that, um, his expectations, I think, for her are really off the chain. I mean, even for the 1970s, I actually talked to a couple of women before this podcast and I'm like, so, and the, their husbands were sort of middle managers. And I'm like, did you have to do a lot of like entertaining? And they're like, oh gosh, no, you know, their secretaries did that or they called a caterer or whatever. So the fact that he is really looping her into this was just really over the, yeah, it may have been a little more over the top. That's interesting to me because I feel like that's definitely a trope that you see in these sort of movies, you know, like this idea that that's what the wife does. So it's interesting that it really wasn't what was happening in real life. It's particularly interesting casting to me, uh, John Astin as as Bill Andrews, uh, because obviously John Astin, for me, uh, the role that that he's most famous for is Gomez Adams. (laughs) Gomez Adams, right. And what I love, I would be married to Gomez Adams over (laughs) Bill Andrews any day of the week. I mean, please. Gomez is uh, so progressive. (laughs) Gomez is completely devoted to his wife, finds her her attractive. She is at the forefront of his mind. Everything he does is about pleasing his partner um, and and is so devoted that to see him in this role, and it's not fair, it's not fair because, you know, obviously different characters, different writers and what have you, but to see him in this role, I felt like any goodwill I had towards him came from knowing that he was also Gomez. Whereas if it was played by somebody else, I would have disliked Bill so much more because it's 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 all the other scenes uh, we haven't seen. Oh, I, yeah, so for funny. sure. I want to throw out one for more sure. point about Bill that really grossed me out. Are you guys ready? Okay, bring okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Agree or disagree, Bill is really turned on by Annabelle in Ellen's body calling him daddy. Oh, yes, he is. He is uh, extremely yeah. uncomfortable. It's 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 extreme. It's it's very uncomfortable. It's interesting that this this is in a Disney movie. I guess yeah. they thought it would go over kids' heads. And you know, obviously, daddy has become a you know a much bigger phrase in pop culture now, <laughs> maybe than it was then. Um, yeah, that is extremely uncomfortable. But then so is like. Uh, Annabelle in her mother's body flirting with a 15-year-old nephew. Like, that part, I was like, what does she think she's doing? (laughs) I gotta put on something sexy. What are you doing? You're just gonna get it, like... This, you're, you look like a woman and you're your mom, let alone the fact that I'm sure she's not thinking that she's overage. But I was like, why do you, like, you could just talk up your daughter. Don't try to be attractive to the 15-year-old. You look like your mom. Yep. Yeah. Um, there's so, a lot going so on crazy. there. Yeah. So it's yeah, a little, little uncomfortable. So there, there, there were a couple. About that. There were a couple of places where I kind of threw up into my mouth a little bit, and when 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 Bill goes to to Annabelle and Ellen's body, Daddy, ooh, you haven't called me that. Uh, and I was like, I was like, no, no, um, yeah, it was too much, too much. My, well, yeah, I, I mean, mean, listen, he doesn't know. I mean, like, obviously, like, he doesn't know, but the filmmakers do. Yeah. And they really shouldn't have put that in. That was too much. 
Yeah, it mm. seems to be a little much for a family movie. Maybe. Yeah, that, that surprised <laughs> me a lot. <laughs> mm. Let's talk about Ben. My favorite character. Ben. Oh, Ben. I knew Larry would like Ben. <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's sweet. He adores his older sister. He's mm-hmm. smart um, and compassionate and empathic, and and just wants to be loved and to give love in return. For me, he's the light of this movie. I overall, overall, I had a hard time getting through this movie, and it was the parts with Ben that got me through it. I think I was able to latch on to, I want to see this brother-sister relationship healed, and I know the movie's going to give me that. So, so, uh, but I, and that's not to take away from the many talented performers who are in this movie, but this was the story, I was way more invested in Ben and Annabelle's relationship healing than I was in even Annabelle and Ellen's relationship healing. Oh, see, for me, it's all about the performance from from, um, from Barbara Harris. Oh, she does a great performance. So, so amazing, so fun and different. And you really believe that she's Jodie Foster, but also just being unique. Mm-hmm. I, that, that's, that's what, I mean, we're not talking about her, but that's, that's what really anchors me into this film. There's a point where Ben says to, um, you know, Annabelle or, or Ellen, I guess, um, he's going to cook. Isn't that a sissy thing to do? Oh, and I, you can already yeah. see the moments where Ben is being sort of like he's got the he keeps his room neat and he polices his own area and he's responsible for some of the things that, you know, maybe uh, Mrs. Schmaus might be, you know, she might be the person. But no, he takes care of his own stuff. And so the moment where he says that, I'm like, oh, Ben, don't get corrupted by the system, man. Come on. But my favorite moment <laughs> is when when Ellen Annabelle in Ellen's body tells Ben that she's fired Mrs. Schmaus. And mm-hmm. Ben says, hooray. And she says, oh, you didn't like her either? And she, he goes, I didn't like the way she talked about Annabelle. Like oh, that, no. that for me. Oh, that, like, like that, and that's part of why I feel like Annabelle is so undeservedly mean to someone who just <laughs> loves her so much. But she gets there, right? That arc, right. That yeah. arc does fully realize in the... Being in the body of her mother, hearing him talk about how much he adores her, uh, really, really lets her realize she's been on the wrong side entirely in this relationship, and she has something great to look forward to. Well, there are a lot of character actors in this movie. A lot. This is a who's who of seventies character actors, which is super fun. And two Van Pattens. Right. I mean, it feels like any 70s movie or television show has to have a Van Patten, but this has two. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, we have, um, we just have so many. And it's, I mean, we, you know, one of the kids was walking by when I was watching that and they're like, hey, that's Jimmy Olsen. And I'm like, you're right. That's See, it's so, it's so funny that, because that, that's the second thing I remembered him from. The first thing that I remember, uh, you know, the next door neighbor from is he's the brother from Back to the Future. Yes. Oh, Mark yes, McClure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the first, and then I looked him up and I was like, oh, that's right. He's is Jimmy Olsen. Like I just, <laughs> Back to the Future is my thing. And so it's the first thing I recognized him from, which is so funny because, you know, he is like 15 here. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I only know him as like, a, even though he always looked very boyish, but to see him like 
as a 15-year-old kid when I know him as kind of a young man was in, was really funny. I, I didn't realize that was him. I think of the character actors, I really love Coach Betsy and the opposing coach, who's oh, just yes. Ruth Buzzy is just opposing I mean, coach. I mean, you have Kay Ballard, Ruth Buzzy, and it's so, so nice. It's so nice to see women in a Disney movie doing something besides being mothers, cleaning ladies, teachers, or old women on buses, right? Yes. They're they're coaches and they're doing something and um they're so funny. They're just they just bring a lot to that um especially Kay Ballard, I think, brings just a oh, lot of yeah. fun to that uh, to those sequences. But what I also like about them is it actually demonstrates to me uh, that Annabelle and her friends have strong female independent role models mm-hmm. uh, in their lives actively actively uh, teaching them to be more independent. Like, they are not raising Ellen Andrews. They're not teaching the next generation of Ellen Andrews. They're teaching right. to watch, watch girls be excellent, which um, I think is surprising for the time period. Uh, yes, it's focused on sports, but 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 they're they're not saying be dainty and feminine out there. They're like get out there and get Annabelle Andrews. Like not and like <laughs> like we're gonna win this and it's important. Um, it it's about excellence and I yeah, love field that. hockey is field ho- hockey is like pretty. It can get violent. Like yeah. it's pretty aggressive. Uh, pretty aggressive. I would watch a whole movie about the rivalry between Coach Betsy and and Ruth Buzzy. <laughs> Absolutely. Like a whole movie about the two of them getting teams and they're like one-upping each other and they're spying on each other for tactics because only one team can be the champions this year. Give me that movie and I will yeah. watch it every day for a week because that's that's where I'm at. I don't even like sports I movies. <laughs> I, was, I, I would see it too. We also have Al from Happy Days. Yeah, sure, sure. And Marvin Kaplan, who was in Alice uh, as the carpet cleaner. Um, uh-huh. So he's in there. So, yeah, it's, it's super fun. Uh, Sorrel Brook, who was Boss Hog on the Dukes of Hazard, He's in there. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of really good performers giving giving comic, a lot of really good comic performances here. Right, um, right. No, I, I would agree. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Boris for just a minute. We're kind of hopping around on our outline. But yeah. uh, let's talk about him. This kid, poor guy, he's he's got his allergies, but then his allergies clear up. When, oh my goodness! He's when he finally finds the love of his life, which is, um, you know, Ellen. I but guess. but he's been faking he them this whole Ellen. time, and but he he was in the car when they switched, so you think he figured it out, right? Don't you think? He eventually figured it out. That's why they're hanging out later. There's a lot of things that people should be figuring out here that <laughs> they do not figure out. And there's a lot of things that should be questioned that are not questioned. But yeah, sure. me and Ben are in the car and um, Annabelle's body suddenly appears in the driver's seat and mom's body is gone. And that should be raising some flags as to what's happening in this situation. But see, I'm okay if only the kids know. I think that's actually kind of cool because there's always this idea of like that children see everything, you know, like in Quantum Leap, only the kids can see that he's not, you know, that he's Ah. actually Scott Bakula. You know, like there's something about this idea that like you lose a part of yourself when you grow up. I mean, that's not what the film is saying at all, but I'm actually okay with the fact that they saw it happen and realize it and the dad doesn't because the dad also was oblivious. Yes. He's oblivious in general and... Also, as an older adult, you might want to try to make it make sense, you know? Because, like, how would that be possible? 
Right, so right. that, I mean, it's a little crazy, but I, I, I assumed that they, they got it, you know. There's this moment where Boris says, I bet you'd be great for a lady. (laughs) What is that? Or I kind of wish I was 20 years older. And I'm like, ick. So his lines are like, he's this male chauvinist in training. And I'm like, oh, goodness. I I don't even see why Annabelle has a crush on him. Uh, it's it's such an interesting it's interesting choice of crush. There is not, and I, I don't mean this to insult the actor, but the character. Like like, what about this character is attractive to you, right? Well, um, here's the thing, though. Have you ever had the neighbor next door that you grew up with uh, that is of of a sex that you would be attracted to? Like. That happens. You grew up with this person. They're a little bit older than you. You hang out. It's proximity. You know, she may, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> proximity. You know them all your life. Plus some hormones. You know, she might see him. I mean, he's he's a little older than her, so he might be a great ahead of her. Like, I, I, I see it. I don't think that she's necessarily, he's just the boy next door. Ah. Okay. It, it's just he's he's nothing he's nothing. I mean he's no, better than he's the not. other boy in this movie the 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 kid who's constantly tormenting her at school. Yeah, right, and then I was right. shocked that they were on the the swim not the swim team but like the 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 um the ski team together. Right. I was like, wait, I thought that that was like a guy who didn't like her. Like you could she needs to do a good job or she might kill you. Right. Maybe be nice <laughs> to the girl. Like, I, I didn't really understand if it was supposed to be like, oh, the boys are mean because they like her. But they didn't really establish any of that. So, I mean, well, the, the guy who was going to give her his lunch, I mean, he obviously was nice, you know, so it's yes. not everybody. But, yeah, that that I didn't understand at all. It felt very sort of just like, oh, we have to put in some tension that, you know, that her life is hard and the boys are mean to her. Okay. Like, and then, yeah, so— yeah, well, and and that's the I, the idea that Ellen Ellen thinks that that Annabelle's life is really easy, and how difficult could it be? And it turns yeah. out that Annabelle's being harassed and harangued by a lot of people, and <clears throat> while Ellen doesn't have to deal with constant harassment, or yeah, man, that's I mean that's the idea, but you know, I'm not yeah, sure it gets pulled off. I think it would have made more sense if they had actually sort of gone there and made it that maybe the guys were like picking on her in a way mm. that was like, you know, catcalling her and then maybe the mom could stick up for her and like punch someone. Or, I mean, not that I'm for violence, but, you know, like something that actually like showed how different her life was right. as opposed to just like, oh, the guys are kind of, you know, mean to her because she wasn't unpopular. Right. She had right. friends. It just, maybe they didn't want to cast other actors, but if they had just made it someone that she wasn't on a team with, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have seemed so odd. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Let's talk about protagonist problems. Is this a romantic comedy structure? It is. is. This, it is. Okay. Except really. the two women don't really interface with each other, right? So usually we would see in a romantic comedy, we would see things from different points of view, and then there would be these touch points between each of the characters, but there aren't really any touch points between the two. Yeah, I don't know if I see it as a romantic comedy structure, but I'd be curious, Larry, why you do. Well, so this is the you know typical romantic comedy structure. In a typical movie, you have a boy and a girl. They meet each other. It's hate at first sight, and then and then you're like they're such opposites. And then over the course of the movie, they come to realize they're actually madly in love with one another, and it's that those opposites make their relationship exciting and valuable and will help them to both grow as people. 
And if you okay. take that through line and you apply it not as a, a sexual romantic love, obviously, but as a parental daughter love, I think that's the structure that we're supposed to see here with Annabelle and Ellen, is that they, they learn to love each other for who they are better. Whether the movie is successful at delivering that, I, I, will, I will leave open because I don't think that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's a real, there's a real problem that, that the movie doesn't address. Uh, but no, it definitely feels like a romantic comedy to me, even if it's not romance in the uh, love sense, in, in the romantic love sense of uh, romantic comedy. That's no, fair. Larry, I, Larry, when you yeah. say there's a problem that you don't really address, what do you... Okay. All okay. right. So this is me. Uh, I, I have a list of grievances. This is my <laughs> festivist moment. Are you ready? Excellent. Um, yeah. so, so my first grievance is, is this, and I will get go over it, but it's going to lead me to my second grievance. Uh, my first grievance is, at no, if I were to switch bodies with my son, my first concern would be, oh my God, I've taken over my son's body. How do I get back? And at no point in the movie are Annabelle or Ellen ever trying to figure out why they've switched bodies or worried that this is their new normal and they'll be in these bodies for the rest of their lives. And I understand why we're not tackling that. We're not tackling that because that's Mm -hmm. a heavy, philosophical, fraught issue. And this is a comedy. Right. Right? So, so, so... I get that. But then it leads to the other problem, where it goes a little too far to the comedy. Our premise of this movie is that mom and and daughter have switched bodies, and they're supposed to learn what it's like to be each other. Fine. I'm not going to get an explanation for why that happened, but you're allowed one lie. You're allowed to get us to that, because that's our movie. Whatever gets us to our premise is fine. Once you get us to our premise, we need to see the natural progression from that single premise. And unfortunately, once Annabelle and Ellen switch bodies, they become total morons. To the point Mm. where, where Ellen in Annabelle's body is talking out, like thinking about Annabelle, and then suddenly finishing the thought out loud, loudly in a declarative voice on the bus so that everybody turns to her and thinks that she's crazy. And you don't need to be in your daughter's body to learn that you don't think, talk half your thoughts out loud on the middle of a crowded bus in public. You know this from being in any human body. Or if you don't, you've always done it. But, but constantly... Uh, Ellen as Annabelle is doing things that are way below the intelligence of any normal character, even if they've been disoriented by being transported to another person's body. Uh, And I find that again and again, and it annoys me every time, because she should be doing some things better and some things worse than her daughter. But if, if what she... If what she needs to learn is her daughter's life is harder than she thought it was, then you put her as herself in her daughter's life and you have her deal with the problems her daughter has. Her daughter does not have a problem riding the bus and talking to herself out loud and being stared at. That is this other thing. Her daughter 
knows the difference between the colors red and blue and doesn't start running across the field and 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 making <laughs> own uh, an end goal against someone on her own. That doesn't happen to her daughter. Her, li- her daughter's life is not hard yeah. in that way. Up up until she goes for the goal with the whole team is screaming, why are you going? What are you doing? And like, she's still like, I'm going to get this goal against the person on like, like, like she's so stupid when the comedy requires her to be that stupid. And that stuff, it was enough for me for her to be on that team and get beat up by these other people uh, as, as she's playing the game. That is something her daughter has to deal with. But her daughter... Ugh. I think it but goes she, back to Larry that you want a win. You want her to have a win and yeah. she doesn't have one. And all she is used for is sort of a punching bag. Yeah. And I, is, agree, I, agree, I agree yeah. with you. I what agree with you because in that yeah. way, she doesn't have much of an arc. I'm, Annabelle I'm, has an arc, right? Yeah. I'm fired up and about I, and this. I, yeah. And I feel like if it was made by any other studio but Disney, she would have some sort of arc at the end. Because it's not 1969, it's 1976, and it, but it's still also not 1984. So, but, but going back to the whole going into the other goal thing, this is a woman who probably not only has never played this game, has probably never played any game. Right. Because of the way she was brought up. And I just think it's a generational thing. Just like my favorite thing that she does is that she doesn't understand that she has to plug in the typewriter. Uh, I love that joke. It makes so much sense because, of course, she wouldn't because she hasn't had to do any of that for a long time because she's been a housewife. Or she walks into a dark room, right? And who was developing film in the 1940s when she was in school, right? They weren't. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out, here's the, my real problem with the field hockey sequence. I, I think it was 95% fine. 95% fine, and then screw, screw it up at the end. Because what should happen is she's getting knocked around, she's getting pushed around because she's being too feminine on the field, too dainty and demure, and she needs to poke out and start knocking some of these girls down like Annabelle. She needs to, in that moment, become Annabelle on the field and she should win the game for her team and be carried around and realize that in her own life, she has never had a victory as good as this victory mm. that she's had in Annabelle's body because she's never let herself be this person. She's never let herself be strong the way that Annabelle is strong. And to have That's that right. moment and be transformed by it and then to realize, I don't want to rob Annabelle of her strength if it's going to give her victories like this. If Annabelle gets to feel like this every game, I don't want Annabelle to ever give up sports. Can I get to my next grievance? Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Okay. Yes, this will be my last grievance because I have a okay. lot of grievances. But these are yes, this, that was one, this is my last grievance that I'll share unless the others come up organically. The voiceover. The use of oh, voiceover. hate it. Absolutely hate it. It's hate terrible. It. The fun of the body swap movie is watching an actress inhabit, um, demonstrate that she's playing a different character in the same body. Having Mm -hmm. the other character provide voiceover for you while you're in that body takes away from the performance of the person who's now, who's now... So Jodie Foster plays Annabelle and she plays Ellen. We don't need her to be playing... Ellen and then have Ellen do the voiceover to let us know. Like, I want to see it all in the performance of the actress. That's that's what I want. Um, the voiceover is never telling us anything 
that we couldn't see from the action from the character. We don't need to constantly be reminded that they switched bodies. We see it all there anyway. Yeah. It's a distraction, and it never makes me laugh. If I didn't know any better, I would think that it was a TV movie that was created especially for the wonderful world of Disney because of that voiceover and how weird it feels. And it may be of the time period, but I also wonder, this is not excusing it, if Mary Rogers adapting her own book felt that she needed it because she was too personal to the material. Uh, Or also, you know, they didn't, it's not a great script, as we have confirmed. It's just sort of a childhood favorite of mine. And that's a way to sort of cheat and say that you've covered the information. Um, Those are also things to consider. Uh, I don't think that Mary Rogers went on to do that many screenplays after this. She mostly did theater, as far as I know. Sure. Um, It's that and the song are what I hate most about this film. I think that's fair. Andy, as as you unmute yourself, uh, I I want to just take a couple of seconds. What are your thoughts about this? About the voiceover? Yeah. Mm, wow. So I think it gets into ABC after school special territory with the voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, there were parts where I was like, okay, I know there's voiceover. What would happen if I muted this? Do it? Is it even really needed? And it's not. The characters really carry. I mean, these people really carry carried this performance. And so we know what's happening. Uh, You know, it's that um, a friend of mine always says, you know, the audience is always ahead of you. And it's almost like the the filmmakers don't really trust that the audience is catching up. So that's kind of where, where I'm at, where I land on this. I I try not to use voiceover. I mean, I've I've used voiceover in my writing, but like, if you're going to use it, like have a good reason for it and uh, not to just, you know, it's that it's that show don't tell. And exactly and I think they're right. showing yeah. it. I think they're showing it perfectly. I think when in the makeup scene, for example, I don't think you need any voiceover there. If, I think we know when she's putting on makeup that she's not doing it right. We're seeing it. If you redid this movie and all you did was edit out the voiceover, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a better movie. I Absolutely. Think, even if there were silent 100%. Parts. I think it really it, threw it, me. Yeah. I had not remembered it. Okay. 100%. Okay. So pitch time. Let's yes. we're gonna, now. Obviously, this was remade. We, as we said, is a made-for-TV movie and also a live-action movie uh, in in the tw- what two thousand three or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. What might we do with this story? We're going to do a prequel, a sequel, a remake, or a series. Um, well, I actually have two pitches. I have the one I prepared for today, but I came up with a better one. Um, should, should I give them Hit us both? with the better one. Hit us with the better one. Just the better one. Yeah. Fair enough. So the better one is this. We start off, same basic premise. Mom and daughter have switched bodies. Mom is going to school as her daughter. She gets to the school and she's like sort of blundering her way through it, but she reveals to her friends, she goes, oh my gosh, you know, the problem is I'm switched bodies. I'm actually Ellen, Ellen not Annabelle. And the girl she turns to goes, oh, I'm so glad you said that. I'm Laura, not Jenny. And a third girl goes, and we learn that every single person at the school is experiencing Freaky Friday today, and they were all going to try to bluff their way through it. And it's something that affected everybody in the city. They've all switched bodies with their children. Uh, and, And then we switch gears, and it becomes a completely different movie as we try to figure out why this has happened to everyone. 
But like, like it's, a, it's a fake out. We think that's the premise, but it's not the premise. Uh, that was that's the one that just occurred to me as we were doing this. Love it. I like that. I like that a lot. It, it gives a new spin to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lord. Um, uh, I actually think that would make a really good series. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of series in general. I mean, that's what I love. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I've seen all the Marvel movies in theaters, but these TV series where they're going into more depth with these really amazing sort of, you know, secondary characters is my new favorite thing. And I I think that if you you made it modern, therefore giving mm-hmm. the character you know even more modern than t- two thousand and three, a full a full arc, but also used the sense of a series, and then gave it a timeline. So you had like a you know just sort of a, a first series mini series type thing where they figure out why it's happening, and then decide if, if find out in some capacity that if they don't do something or get to something. By this date, which of course would be the finale episode, they're going to get stuck like that. Ooh. So then it gives the series an urgency as well as going through different episodes of everyday things that they have to deal with because they're living life and they can't sort of let on or mess up each other's lives leading up to this sort of, you know, time crunch at the end. Ah, love it. So my my pitch uh, might require a time machine because I would like to shoot this back in 1975. <laughs> Great. <laughs> but but it, I think this is a far more interesting movie if the husband and wife have to switch bodies, where she gets to experience power and he gets to experience discrimination. And I started yes. thinking about this. There's this folk story um, that I loved when I was a little kid. And of course, I grew up in the 70s, but um, it was called The Husband Who Minded the House. And they actually, but instead of changing bodies, they actually change roles. And but yeah, if we shot it today, I would hope that you know men would be a wee bit more enlightened than they used to be, and that women have a lot more opportunity to exercise power. But maybe not, and maybe we don't need a time machine. But yeah, I would love to see her. I kind of want to see him put all these things, and maybe this is just a re- rewrite of this movie. But I would like to see you know Ellen put all these things on Bill. And or instead of Bill, you know, putting all these things on Ellen or Bill having to live up to the standards, I want to see Bill as a protagonist because I, I want to see Barbara Harris. Th- I, yeah, exactly. Yes. I think I, I want to see Barbara Harris play a man. Absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. I want to see that. Yeah. I think also, I think I think Ellen in Bill's body does a better job at Bill's work than Bill does. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Bill is not great, great at his job in this movie, and uh, right. and Ellen is really his secret weapon. I, I I think that's something that we've learned. So yes, no, I like that a lot, Andy. Oh, thanks, thanks. So. All right, well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a treat. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah. Well, next week, what are we doing, Larry? Next week, we're doing the Fox and the Hound. Ooh, Fox and the Hound. I love that little movie. It's yeah. good. All right, fans, you can find us at our Facebook page, Once Upon a Disney Podcast, and on Twitter at, at @AndyRedwine and at LarryBrenner6. And should you have a pressing question for us to answer, you can always drop an email into our mailbag at OnceUponADisneyPodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. See you real soon.